may be seated. At this time, if you are between the ages of four or up to fourth grade, you are free uh, to, to go with Miss Emily. She's in the back there, and, and you've got a kid's church. Unless you want to stay and listen to me, that's always an option as they get up and move faster. <laughs> While they're headed out, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, as we continue this series uh, through the book of Genesis. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 27. Now Abraham was old and advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to a servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will swear by my and I will make you swear by my Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, but you will go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things in, excuse me, of his master's in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside of the city wall. Out, I can't read this morning. I apologize, folks. The city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl whom I say, please take down your jar so that I may have a drink, and who answers drink, and I will uh, water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to his hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw, draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all of the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at all of her silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. 
When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold rein weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again she said to him, We have plenty both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. I know that was quite a few verses, but you can never read too much of the Bible. Um. As Christians, we're called to follow Jesus. And one of the callings that we have on our life as Christians is to be servants of Jesus and servants of others. And Jesus demonstrates this uh, on, on the night he was betrayed by taking out a basin of water, taking off his clothes, covering himself with a towel, and acting as a servant to his disciples. So Jesus demonstrates this in his ministry, and he calls us to be servants. And what do you know, reaching even back into the Old Testament, what we find is that being a servant was incredibly important to the household of Abraham. It was incredibly important that Abraham had servants in his household because he owned a vast amount of land, he had a vast amount of riches, And he needed somebody in his household that he could trust with all of that. And so we have this servant with no name who is in charge of everything. Now, we think that maybe this is a late... I'm going to get his name right. Told you I can't read today. Eliezer, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 15, there's the servant that Abraham is considering uh, making his heir and giving all of his belongings to, and God says, hold on, your wife is going to be pregnant, and soon enough he has Isaac. Well, it turns out that Eliezer is still in the household, at least we think so, but all we know from this passage is that this is a servant who's in charge of everything, and he is trusted with the task of finding a wife for Isaac. Now at this point in the family, Rebecca has passed away. Rebecca has passed away and usually it's the mother that would go and find a suitable wife for her son, but since she's passed away, Abraham sends his servant and and you sort of get the sense that Abraham didn't want to do it. <laughs> You sort of get the sense like, oh my goodness, I don't want to travel, I don't want to try to find somebody, but he calls his servant. And notice how important this task is. He doesn't just call his servant and say, hey, I need you to go and find a wife. Notice what he makes him do. He makes him swear an oath, and he has him grab the back of the leg, which is a very important way of indicating this is life and death. The rest of my family lineage depends on you fulfilling the task I'm about to give you. And so he calls this servant in, has him grab the back of his leg, and swear to him that he will do everything in his power to find a wife for his son Isaac. And he he gives the, the, not the guidelines or the recommendations, it's even more than that. He gives them the requirements 
of what's supposed to be in a wife for his son Isaac. And the two main requirements that he's given to complete his service is that she must not be from the land of Canaan. She must be from within the household. Very common back in that day that you didn't go outside of your household to marry, but you stayed within and it had to do with property. It had to do with culture. It had to do with maintaining relationships. And so he says, you have to go back and you have to find somebody from my family. You remember how far away Abraham lived? Back in chapter 12 of Genesis, when God says, I need you to leave your land and go to the land of the Canaanites, he lives a really long way away. And it's not just a straight shot over. He has to go all the way north and then all the way south south, just to get back to Abraham's former land and former household. So he has to go on a journey to find this wife for Isaac. And then the servant says back to him, well, what if I get there and I find somebody, but she's not willing to come back with me? Do I come back and bring Isaac back to the land? And Abraham, this is an important requirement, says, no, she must be willing to come back and live with us. Which is very important when you stop to think about uh, back in those days, usually... Uh, you would work out some kind of arrangement for where you were going to live. And Abraham said, don't drag her out of her household. Don't just let her family give her up to us. She must be willing to be within our household. But then on top of that, Abraham is remembering they've got land that God has given them. And it is important that she comes back and lives in this land Because this is the land that God has blessed us with. This is the land that God is going to use for generations and generations. She has to be willing to come back. And so the servant asks the obvious question, what if it's not possible? What if I travel all of that way and I can't find a woman from the household, or I travel all that way, I find a woman for your son Isaac to marry, And when I get there, she says she doesn't want to leave and the family wants to keep her in their hometown. What do I do? And Abraham says, if you cannot find a way to bring her back, the oath is done. You have tried to fulfill your oath and you've not been able to. And so the servant agrees. He takes the oath with Abraham and he takes off. And and he doesn't just take off, but he takes off with 10 camels. Now, this is really interesting. The camels that he would have taken were not camels that you usually use to ride uh, for long distances, and you didn't usually use these kinds of camels to carry a lot of stuff. These camels were small. Uh, You might see them around today. They're one-hump camels, and they're often used for racing, and they're often used for milk. That's about it. So when the servant takes these 10 camels, what he's doing is he's taking these 10 10 camels to show off to whoever he's going to meet. So an equivalent to that might be if you go on a road trip, okay, and and you take your truck or or whatever, and then you think, okay, I want to show people that I really got some money. So I'm going to grab 10 dirt bikes out of my garage and just put them on the back. But you can't ride 10 dirt bikes. Yeah, but I want everybody to know that I have 10 dirt bikes. That's what he's doing. He's walking into town with an entourage of camels that he doesn't need. 
He's risking that they're going to die in the desert. And so when he walks into town with 10 camels, his thinking is some of the women that are looking for a husband that's going to take care of her needs, they're going to look at the 10 camels and go, I don't care what he looks like, that man can take care of me. So the servant is really smart. I I guess I'm saying all that to say the servant's smart here. But when he walks into town, he has these 10 camels and he's trying to get attention. And notice, notice how Rebecca reacts to it. She walks right past it. So he comes into town, he waits by the well, and he's looking to see who's going to come and draw water from this well. And Rebecca comes down and just isn't even distracted by this entourage of riches. And then when she begins to go back, he gives her the test. And while he's waiting there, he prays to God. He says, God, I want you to bless my master Abraham. And later what we hear him say is that he was also thinking of, his, of Abraham's son Isaac. So he was thinking of both guys. Lord, I want you to bless Abraham. I want you to bless Isaac. Lord, the first woman that allows me to take a drink from her cup and also is willing to water these ten camels... May that be the one that you have called Isaac to marry. Now, I don't know if you know this. Camels drink a lot of water. These one hump camels, these are the small ones, by the way. These one hump camels can drink up to 30 gallons of water when they're thirsty. He had 10 camels. Rebecca probably had a three-gallon jug. I don't know if we have any mathematicians here. That's a lot of water. And when he says to Rebecca, can I have a drink of water? That's the test he's putting her through. She says, well, sure, yeah. And so she gives him a drink of water. And then she looks and sees the ten camels and says, would you like me to water your camels too? And he says, I would love that. Yes, water my camels. Now, I'm going to try to give just a mental picture of that situation. One. (laughs) Multiply that by however many camels, however many gallons, and she did it all. She offered to serve this servant and all of his camels and everything without even indicating that she had any intentions to get anything from him. And when she's done with that, he, he asks her, what household are you a part of? And I can only imagine, you know, as he's saying this, as he's gone through all this travel, as he's sitting there and he's praying, you know, oh, please be a part of Abraham's household. Please be a part of Abraham's household. And she says, I'm a part of Abraham's household. She gives the lineage. And right there on the spot, he praises God. Right there on the spot, he gives thanks to God and says, Lord, you have brought to me who my master was looking for. God, you have provided Isaac with a wife. And then he he even asks in that sentence, uh, do you have a place I can lodge? Do you have a place I can stay? And she opens up that. She says, absolutely, you can come into our house. You can stay with us. 
So this is just verses 1 through 27, and, and what you find in the rest of the chapter is as he goes into the household, as he meets the family, he recounts the journey that he's on, why he's there. He reveals to them that he is in search for Isaac to have a wife, and that Rebecca came along, and this is what I prayed, and this is what I hoped would happen, and this is how Rebecca filled it. I believe that God is calling uh, me to bring Rebecca back to marry my master, Isaac. And the family talks about it, and, and, you know, somewhere along the line, too, he was like, oh, and you see those ten camels? I didn't need to travel with them. We got more back home. And so he gives everything to the family and says, we can take care of her. And so she agrees, and she's willing, and she comes back with the servant. They come back, and by the way, if, if you like, Uh, romance novels or romantic movies, read like the last six verses of this chapter. It really is beautiful. Not that I watch romantic movies, but it really is beautiful because as she comes down, she sees Isaac in the distance and he's praying out in the field and she covers herself up and presents herself to him and he sees her and they immediately fall in love and they immediately get married. So all of this, because the servant not only took the oath of Abraham, but he also longed to fill that oath. And so between these two people, the servant and Rebekah, we have quite a few points of what it means to be a servant of God. Uh, Only a few, 12 altogether. So we're going to try to race through this and get out on time today, okay? The first one here is a lesson that we get from the servant with no name. The first one is, a servant looks for a way to fulfill his or her oath, not shirk it. No, notice what the servant does in all of this. When he is told to, to fulfill this oath, when he goes out, n- notice the two options that he, that he had here and which one he chose. He could have gone out with the mindset that he was going to get the bare minimum. Okay, He could have headed out with the mindset that he is at the very least going to find someone that will come back and marry Isaac. All right, He could have gone out there and said, I'm going to find a wife for Isaac, but I don't care who she is. I don't care what her attitude is. I don't care about any of that. I just need to find somebody. I need to give them a lot of our property, and then they'll agree to come back. But he doesn't do that. Notice that in his heart, he actually wants to fulfill the oath that his master gave him. He's not just out to do what his master says, come back, and then say, there we go, we fulfilled the oath. But in his heart, when his master called him to do something, he wanted to fulfill it. He headed out and he had a heart to find Isaac a wife to keep this family going. When you're called to be a servant of Jesus Christ, you are called to have a heart to actually want to serve him. You know, too many times, I think in our Christian life, we can get into a mode where we're trying to fulfill the calling of God at a bare minimum. And, and we're just thinking, okay, if I show up, if I get it done, God will be happy with me, and that'll be it. I'll be set. But what God is calling us towards is a heart that actually wants to fulfill the oath that he's bound us to. He wants us to serve him in our hearts. He wants us to be like his son Jesus and actually want to wash other disciples' feet. 
God is calling us to have a heart that is longing to serve him. The second point here, uh, a servant wants what is genuinely best for his leader. And I'm going to use that word leader because we don't use the term servant and master. That would be really awkward if, you know, you called your connections group leader a master. Although, if you're in my wife's connection group, I want you to call her that on Monday just to see how she reacts. (laughs) And And she hasn't heard me say this. She's in the kids' church right now. But when you're a servant of God and you have leaders in your life, such as connections class leaders or connection group leaders, when you have people that you pray with, when you have pastors that send you out to do something for the church, God is calling you to be the kind of servant that wants what's genuinely best for the person that's sending you out. Notice this servant, when he goes out, he prays for Abraham. Notice he's not praying for himself. He's not praying, you know, God, would you bless me in this situation and and would you let me be known for how amazing of a servant I am so that when I go back to Abraham, he's so proud of me. He's not even thinking of himself. When he heads out, he prays, God, I love my master Abraham. I love the household that he has created. And Lord, he has tasked, tasked me with something important important. So God, would you bless Abraham by helping me fulfill this oath? Notice where he's at. He's at a place where he wants Abraham to be blessed. In your life as a servant, you have leaders in your Christian life that God is calling you to genuinely want what is best for them. Not simply do what they've asked you to do or be a part of whatever group they've asked you to be in, but to sit back and genuinely want what's best for them and genuinely pray for them in their ministry. A servant seeks God's guidance always. Notice how the servant arrives in town. He arrives in town, he sits by the well, and the first person he goes to is God. He's been given the task by Abraham. He he knows what he's supposed to do. Abraham has said, go back, find Isaac a wife, make sure she's willing to come back, make sure she's not Canaanite. But when he goes there, he doesn't just go with the mindset, well, Abraham told me to do this. He goes with the mindset, I'm going to ask God to be a part of this process. In your life as a Christian servant, you need to remember that you are always called to go to God in whatever task you've been given. Whatever task you're doing in this church or in this community, God wants you to come to him and say, God, will you help me with this? See, that's, that's another problem I've found that Christians tend to run into is we think that when God has given us a task that he wants to leave us alone, you know, because he's got other problems. He's got other things to take care of. And so he's, he's tasked me to take care of this for him, and I better get it done as best I can or else when he comes back, he might be mad. When the reality is, When he gives us a task, we're actually called to go right back to him and say, God, (laughs) you've given me something that is too big for me to handle. Or even in situations, God, you've given me something that I could do with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. But I want you to be a part of it because I don't want to mess this up. 
Your calling as a Christian servant is to always go to God for direction from him and from a blessing from him. He's the one that's guiding our steps. Ultimately, if we go to him and ask him to help us fulfill these tasks, he'll be a part of it, he'll bless it, and he'll lead us in it. A servant always seeks heavenly requirements over earthly requirements. So again, notice the oath that Abraham required. The oath that Abraham required was, make sure she's not Canaanite and from my family, and make sure she's willing to come back. That's only two things that Abraham wanted for his son. Be in the family, be willing to come back and live here. And the servant went out, and when he talked to God and asked God, would you help me with this task, he was led by God to have greater requirements for the person that he was finding for Isaac. Notice what he was looking for in a servant, or in a wife, excuse me. He was looking for a spouse that had a heart for service. He was looking for a spouse that would not only be willing to welcome a stranger, he was looking for a spouse that would be willing to go above and beyond all of the things that would be required. And so when he goes to God for that heavenly requirement, he's actually fulfilling the earthly requirement and in addition fulfilling what God has. You see, if you don't go to God, you're not going to get everything that God has planned. So when he calls you to a task and you think, oh, I can get this done all by myself. I can do this by myself. God doesn't need to worry about me. What you end up doing is you end up filling your earthly requirement, but not allowing God to give you even more to bless the situation. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? God has more that he wants to give you if you would come to him and ask for help. A servant sincerely wants what is good for his leader, not fame for himself. I sort of said this in part two, but I want, to take a diff- I want to have a different take on it here. Notice who he's working for. Abraham and Isaac. Notice the names that he mentions throughout all of chapter 24. Abraham and Isaac. Notice the name that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, Eliezer. What did I say about Eliezer? I don't even know if that's this guy. We don't know. We're just, we're guessing. It's an educated guess that Eliezer has stayed within the household, and this is the same servant that Abraham was talking about in Genesis chapter 15. But the truth is, we don't know who this guy is. His name has not been recorded in the Bible. And what have we talked about, about names in the Old Testament? They're incredibly important. The goal that every person had in their life is that generations from now, people would be speaking of my name, and yet we don't even know this guy's name. He doesn't introduce himself as, hi, my name is, and I'm a part of. He shows up and says, you don't need to know who my name is. My name is not important in this conversation. The name that's important is Abraham and Isaac. They're the ones that need something. A true servant is willing to forego themselves and their recognition in order that the task at hand is done. A true servant is willing to say, uh, no, it's okay, I, I don't need the recognition. Now, 
let me pause really quick and say, it is very important if you're a leader in this church that you do give recognition to those that are serving. But as far as being a servant, your name recognition should not be what's most important at the task at hand. The name that should be most important at the task of hand is Jesus Christ. We're serving him. We're called by him. And so therefore, anything that we do in this world, if somebody says, wow, I can't believe somebody was willing to do that. Oh, I am pretty good at this, aren't I? Yeah, you know, I I work 40 plus hours a week, but I take time out of my busy schedule, Joshua Henderson, to be a part of this task right here. Of course, we don't word it that way. But you know, there's other ways to word it that God would get the attention. Boy, you know, you're good at this. And I've noticed that you just have a servant's heart. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus has served me. And because he served me so much, I know that he's calling me to serve others. That's one way to give God the recognition. But the heart that God is calling us to is that we would have a heart that in everything we do, it's God who gets the recognition, not us. And then finally, a servant knows that their service affects all people. So a servant that goes out and serves, knows that they're not just doing what their master has called them to do. They're actually doing this for other people. So let me give you a a really quick task or a, a really quick example. Pastor Mark has gone on vacation. He has me come up and preach. And there's an element of me preaching that wants to please Pastor Mark. I would really hate it if he came back and said, that was a horrible sermon. Thankfully, he hasn't said yet. I don't know if he would put it into those words. But there's a part of me that says, I want to do what's best for Pastor Mark and be able to fill his shoes while he's gone. But there's also a recognition that I have that I'm not just serving Pastor Mark. I'm serving you. I am here with you as a church, and we are serving one another. And so when you're called to serve, you need to recognize that you're not just helping the person that's called you out, but you're helping others that you're serving. Does that make sense? God is calling you to serve him, to serve your leader, and to serve other people in this world, in this church, in this community. That was just the first servant. Now we've got to talk about Rebecca. What can we learn from Rebecca and her life? Well, first of all, Rebecca teaches us that a servant is caring, not indifferent. Remember how I said she went down to the well, and when she was asked if he could have a drink of water, she not only obliged and gave him a drink of water, but she also offered to water the camels. It's a huge task. That's a huge task. And she had every right to walk away after the drink of water. Culturally speaking, it's an honor to help somebody. So he comes into town as a stranger. Her culture would have seen it as an honor for her to offer him water and help the stranger, and that's it. She had every right at that point to walk away and know, I fulfilled my task, I have given a thirsty man a drink of water, let me go back home and be with my family now. But instead, she has a caring heart. 
She actually wants to help him. Are you getting a theme out of this passage yet? There's a heart that we are called to have as servants that actually wants to serve other people. And Rebecca demonstrates that she wanted to serve. She wasn't indifferent to the stranger. A servant seeks to help the stranger. So not only does she give him the drink of water, but she actually seeks if there's anything else that she can do to help him out. You know, that's something that we're called to do as Christians, is not only fulfill the tasks that we're given at hand, but also to check and see, is there anything else that you need me to do? Is there any other area of service that I can be a part of? Is there any way I can help you in your ministry? We've touched on this a little bit, but a servant does work above and beyond what is asked. Rebecca demonstrates this in watering all of the camels. So many camels, so much water. She could have easily said no, but she had a heart that said, I know he needs this done. I'm going to do it for him. We as Christians are called to not just do the bare minimum, but to go above and beyond what God, or excuse me, what others have asked us to do. We are called to be a part of the ministries, but also, also look for areas that we can do more, areas that we can serve God further. What number am I on? Four? Told you, I'm not a mathematician. The servant welcomes the stranger. So when he asks... Rebecca, do you have a household that I can stay in? Again, she could have, I mean, she could have very easily lied to him and said, no, I don't, stay away from me. She could have easily said, well, I do, but we don't have enough room. But she welcomes him in. She welcomes him into her household to meet her family and to continue the conversation at hand. When you're a servant, you're going to run into other people. All right? As a Christian, you are called to serve other people, other Christians, folks in this community. And the relationship starts when you offer them a drink of water. Okay? The relationship starts when you volunteer maybe at a shelter and you put food on the plate. Or maybe you sweep up at the end of the night. The, the drink of water, the, the servant's heart, that starts just in that immediate contact. But we as Christians are called to go deeper with other people and invite them into a relationship. We are called as Christians not just to go out and serve and be done with it, but we're called to enter into a loving relationship with people that brings them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we can, and, and, and I know I'm generalizing here, this, this might not be an issue that you have, but I think sometimes as Christians, we would rather do the work of like, say, sweeping up and setting up chairs and, and maybe we'll man a table or a booth at some big event. But then when we say, we need you to go and share the message of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, whoa, hey, hold on here, hold on. I just know how to carry four chairs at a time. That's, that's my talent for this church. I don't think I can share the gospel. Let me tell you, we would rather you spend time sharing the gospel 
than doing anything else. That's the deeper relationship that you are called to have with people in this community. You're called to bring them into that, or at least offer them that relationship with Jesus, that deeper relationship beyond just the initial contact, beyond just physical service, but now you're offering them more than that. Number five, when you are a servant, you are doing the work of God without even knowing it. When your heart is changed to really be a servant of God and really follow after God's ways and you want to help other people, you're going to find yourself in situations where you're doing God's work and you didn't even realize it. You're going to find yourself in situations where you begin to share a relationship with somebody, a relationship with Jesus Christ with somebody, and not even realize you're in the middle of it. This happens to Christians everywhere where they have a heart for service, they have a heart for helping other people, and all of a sudden they realize that what they were doing was sharing the witness of God without even knowing it. Rebecca just went down to get some water. That's it. She just went down to get some water, and then all of a sudden, well, I can give this stranger some water. And then she thought, you know, I see he has a lot of camels here, and he doesn't have a jug. I'm going to offer to give him some water. And all of a sudden, before she knows it, she is a part of God's plan to redeem the world. When you have a servant's heart in this world, you're going to find yourself in situations that God is orchestrating and you probably won't even realize until it's done that you were doing God's work. And then finally, this is the last point that I have, and I have a feeling this is going to be the hardest point for some of you to go home with. So 12 points... Up to this point, 11 of them is what you can do for other people and how you can serve God, your leaders, other Christians, people who aren't Christians, all right? Point number 12, a servant is willing to be thanked and served. I think this is the hardest part for us as Christians, Because there's something about somebody coming to us and saying, can I help you with this, that we just don't like. I don't know why. I'm the same way. I will struggle for an hour trying to carry a table by myself before I even think of asking somebody else. I will spend so much time neglecting other people serving me because it's a problem I have. And you know what? I feel like I'm not alone in this church. But what did Jesus do when he washed the disciples' feet? Remember? He got to Peter and Peter said, No, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And what did Jesus say to him? If you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. And what was his command to his disciples? Wash one another's feet. What does that require? It requires that at least one person take their stinky shoes off and let another person wash their feet. In this situation, when the servant comes into town, he's not knocking on doors. He has to step back. And he has to watch Rebecca do all of this work. Now, we might sit back and be critical and say, well, why didn't he get up and help? 
Well, why didn't he grab the jar and tell her to sit down? Why didn't he serve her? That's our problem. We want to be critical of how God orchestrated the situation instead of just sit back and realize sometimes there are situations where you need to allow somebody to serve you. And if it helps, it has nothing to do with you. God might be setting up a situation where somebody else needs to learn how to serve and you just happen to be the recipient of their service. A servant is also willing to be thanked. Can I give you another confession? This one's hard for me too. Not only is it hard for others to serve me, it's also hard to receive a compliment. It's also hard to be said thank you to. And I don't know why. I think maybe as Christians we're so focused on I'm doing the work of God. I'm doing what God told me to do. I don't deserve the thanks. God deserves the thanks. Please, please. And what we need to realize is there are some people that are offering genuine gratitude not for the sake of us. They're offering it for the sake of God. There are some people that when they say thank you to you when you serve, what they're actually saying is, I am so glad that God has called you. I am so happy with how God has called this service to come together and how you were a part of it. They just don't know how to say it, and so they just say thank you. Thank you for what you did. The music was beautiful today. Thank you for picking up. Thank you for this or that. And what we need to realize as Christians is we're called into those situations because God is orchestrating for all Christians to serve one another and for all Christians to be served. This is the way that God's world works. We are called to service of him, but we find ourselves in situations where we're serving others. So as we walk away from this place, we have... 11 to-dos. So 11 to-dos, and, and I don't know if any of you were taking notes, but I, I highly suggest read this chapter for yourself. Read this chapter, read it over and over again, and see what kind of heart for service this servant and Rebecca had. So we walk away with that 11, okay, this is what a servant does, but I want you to walk away with that 12th one and realize there are some times that you are called to be served. Let's pray.